Well, we want to welcome you to the Help Keep America Safe podcast. We are excited to be here. We got my brother Carlo with us today. He's a first responder, but I don't want to take anything um, away from him. I want to give him an opportunity to share um, some things about him, his experience, and uh, what he do for a living, and things of that nature. So, Brother Carlo, it's a pleasure to have you on this show. Um, one of the things, quickly, is that we have a desire to make our world a safer place. Absolutely. And one of my goals is to galvanize the security industry and bring all the first responders and police officers and military, ex-military, you know, our veterans and everybody in one place that's, um, that protects America and allow um, information to easily trans, um, transfer between the different groups and things of that nature. And so we're galvanizing all the industry, different uh, security um, sectors as well. And so if you're um, doing, uh, say, fire alarms or systems and versus uh, armed officers, private investigations, we're bringing everybody in, IT, you know, cybersecurity. We want them all to be in, be trained, be able to communicate, collaborate on how we can best keep America safe. Absolutely. With that, I mean, collaboration is everything. So many things get lost in the weeds, miscommunication between agencies. You get these bad bloods that, that develop between individuals when we all really have the same goal. You know, that was a big push after 9-11 that the federal government made when we saw really when we try to bring so many large agencies together, we don't meld well. So they came up with things like the incident command system, standard incident command structure for events in that effort to really get us all on the same page because we don't have time to get on that page when the event takes place. The yeah. Yeah, my business, you know, in emergency medical services, we kind of use the term, you don't pick your calls, your calls pick you. Yeah. So when you, you don't have time to get ready, we have to be on the same page. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so you, you are EMS, um, would, would it paramedic? Yes. Would so be the right I've been in, I've been a paramedic for 12 years now, like so I'm a licensed paramedic versus a certified paramedic. I actually have a, a degree in pre-hospital medicine, a degree in paramedicine. So the difference, and a lot of people don't realize this with the state, and it's a big part of credibility, even with security, you know, the commission goes a long way. That means you have somebody who's standing by and advocating for what you do. A certification just means that you meet state minimum requirements to be there. A license okay. means actually endorsing you to practice what you do. So it, that's something that that's really held with us. And I think with the license, the security guard license as well, you're not just the bare minimum person that the state says has to be here. You're endorsed to be performing your job and you should act accordingly. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, that that is awesome, man. Um, and so I, I'm sure you have a lot of stories to tell uh, about about the duty 
what what are some of the things like one one thing that's near and dear to my heart is um and i don't know if we talked about it but i want to have a um a helpline for our first responders i want to create a system where you get 15 minutes of free to call every um week and talk to a licensed professional about whatever's going on in your life as a first responder. Um, did we uh, talk about that briefly? We have it. There, there are systems like that that, that we refer to. Uh, Texas a great one if you're looking for a partner. They, they have a great, great program that you can call. You have to make appointments, though. So a lot of the, these guys and, and girls who do this, you end up getting either referred to the standard, you know, God forbid, suicide helpline, mental health crisis line. But especially in my field, there's a fear around that because we know the legalities of there are certain things I can and cannot say. If I say the wrong thing, are required to contact 911. You will be mandated to go to the hospital, that sort of thing. So there's that huge stigma against mental health crises surrounding a profession and public safety in general. Yes. We also have the apprehension to seek help. Right, right. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm working on that um, way to eliminate some of that and to only be required to say that, yes, you did call versus, um, and this is how long you had that, um, that, that conversation, but that's all that I'm going to report to the state. And so I don't know how I'm gonna pull it off, but I believe that I'm gonna pull it off. And because I know that that stigma, like you said, that you don't wanna be benched, you don't wanna have to sit down, you don't wanna have to take a leave or, or things of that nature because of what's going on. But <clears throat> that doesn't, um, negate the fact that you still need help, <laughs> right? Or worse, because you can feel more trapped. When you're already in a situation where you feel troubled, you don't know what to do, the last thing you want to make someone feel is that they're alone. And that's something we professionals, when you encounter people with weapons or people who can become physically, I've seen plenty of people who can become physically violent to the point that they're more of a threat than someone with a weapon. The last thing you want to do is make them feel like they're cornered or they have no avenue. Because yes. human beings, we're animals, and animals pushed in a corner lash out. They, they, we become dangerous creatures at that point. So you want people to really feel like they can come out and express their needs. Something that we do at my current organization, I work for Harris County Emergency Services District 11, so that's my, my current position resume. I help supervise operations between dispatch logistics and field operations, so actual ambulance response and coordination with other departments. When you have an incident like this, you should talk uh, where something's traumatizing or you know it, it needs to get out there. You need to handle that in the moment. You shouldn't yes. send somebody home with that inside of them. Yes, yes. And I think Northwest EMS, just to the Northwest, who handles a big part of Tomball, they actually have a whole course they put on for families of first responders to understand, you know, the cues when somebody comes home and things just aren't right. Well, what really should happen is that unit should be taken out of service immediately following the call 
And even if you debrief it for five, 10, 15 minutes, you should talk about it. You got to let off that relief valve or it stays inside because who knows what, what the next call is going to hold. Exactly. Exactly. As soon as you hit the available button, whether you're police, fire, EMS, even private security with a formalized dispatch, you hit that available button, it's game on once again, and you don't know the next game you're going to play. Exactly, exactly. And you can go from one traumatic experience to the next, to the next. And, you know, sometimes you feel overworked. And, um, and, and like you said, no, no outlet where I can't go home and tell people what I just experienced because they're not going to want me to continue with what I'm doing and or be very concerned about me and worried and you don't want to put that pressure on your family and then on the other hand I can't really talk to um, the my job because they may put me on leave or you know it, it's just a it's a sticky situation and so like you're saying just having that 15 minutes to debrief and after a traumatic situation, what, what I've noticed is with police officers, especially they start joking about things that happen. You use humor as, as a way to vent that off. It almost psychologically downplays the significance of the event. Yeah. And very important for us for that safety feeling, at least for me, I don't wanna speak for the masses in general, but I know I feel more comfortable speaking to somebody who's been there and done that than if you were to put me with a psychologist or a professional counselor. And I, I can't imagine anything that would set me off probably as bad as somebody telling me, I know how you feel. And they okay. have absolutely no idea how I feel. Right. That pure that interaction in the moment is extremely important to really be able to say someone who understands. And also, talking to family or friends who, who don't necessarily do the same thing. If there's an experience that's been traumatic for me, I don't, I'm, I would feel guilty about describing that experience to my family. Right. I don't want them to imagine in their mind something that was that traumatic for me, but I do know that I can go to my other supervisors, my boss, my boss's boss, I can, I can go to my guys in the field and just say, hey, I got to talk about this for a minute. And there's no judgment with that. Right. It, it's part of mission readiness is not only being physically healthy, but mentally healthy. Yes. You, you have to be mentally in the game at all times, or you'll be more of a liability if you're not mentally in the game than not physically. I, I'll yeah. take it who can only do five push-ups but can hold his nerve in that moment every day over the guy who can run a mile in, in under five minutes and but you can't trust him as far as you can throw him to not shoot his mouth off yes yes so that that is key brother I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought about it in that light and so to be able like to maybe get retired uh, officers and things of that nature um, EMS workers, first responders to be able to mask some of those calls, but maybe put them through a certification um, that will give them that, that aid, you know, um, but that be, that'll be more like a community thing. It wouldn't be, you know, um, 
specialized type of thing, but creating something that on the side uh, or along with that could be great because sometimes, you know, not saying that they don't know, they probably can't experience, hadn't experienced those things, but they've been taught how to deal with mental trauma anyway. I'm, I'm reading, well, I haven't started yet, but I'm about to read this book. It's called Trauma and Recovery. Have you read that? I've read Trauma and Recovery. That goes a lot along with uh, The Body Keeps the Score, or there's one more that actually talks about the physiologic effects of stress down to the cellular level. Yes. You were, you know, cortisol, the stress hormone that gets released in your body, that's a thousands and thousands of year old mechanism. That's the same hormone as when you look at a herd of gazelle and, and one whips its head and all of a sudden the rest know what's going on. That, that's how deep that is inside of us. That's supposed to be in and out. The half-life, I believe, is about a minute and a half. But when you're constantly stressed and not dealing with these issues, that's flowing through your body all day. Mm. It shuts down your immune system. It shuts down growth. It shuts down all these other functions. You're scientifically, we know you are less empathetic to others if you have a large amount of cortisol in your body. Conversely, we know if you have a large amount of oxytocin, the you know the, the good feeling when you get a hug, that's oxytocin. If you have a large amount of that, you are much more empathetic to others. Okay. okay. When we treat patients or even in, in law enforcement or in the fire department, it's important to touch people. It's, a, you know, we put on gloves and everything and we forget it's okay to touch your patient. It's okay to put an arm, a hand on someone's arm and just say, it's going to be okay. That exchange alone can be worth more than a lot of medicine. Wow. 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 That's, that's awesome to know. And, you know, I, I know I, I haven't been in law enforcement, but I know that um, you wear a lot of hats. I was a, uh, in education for a long time and for 18 years and teaching elementary education at that, doing some administrative work. And I didn't want to go into law enforcement because it was like, it's just like, now I got to deal with the same kids, but now they, they're on drugs and <laughs> got grown up yep. issues as well, but still the same type of mentality and stuff like that. So law enforcement officers, they're probably the most diverse of all, all first responders. A law enforcement officer, from my observations, and, and I've gotten the opportunity, the great opportunity in my career to work with a lot of what I would believe are great law enforcement officers. I've also got the learning experience to witness a lot of law enforcement officers that I wouldn't necessarily repeat their actions or similar actions in my profession. A law enforcement officer has to be a social worker. They, they have to be a negotiator, a, you know, a de-escalator. They often, a lot of times for CPR and progress roles, the police will, will beat us because they're more dynamically uh, deployed. They yeah. have a proactive policing model, which starting about 15, 20 years ago, we all realized proactive policing does a lot more than reactive policing. Yes. So they're out there. They play a medical role. They'll be the first to pull someone out of a car that's on fire before the fire department gets there. So law enforcement, just by their dynamic alone and the, uh, the authority they hold, they, yes. they hold a lot of civil and criminal authority 
they're just they're so available to the public. And 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 we have a shortage of them. And one of the things that concerns me, you know, they about the individuals because a lot of times when um, first responders don on a uniform, the public deems them as you know superhuman or some some kind of alien or something yeah. like that. Um, but you know, I'm I'm concerned about their souls because you know, it's a lot going on and they're not, in my opinion, properly trained to deal with all that goes on, you know, um, mm -hmm. as far as um, how to manage their money, because they, they start taking on extra jobs, the EJs, and then they, they get burned out and then they work in like, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week, just un humane stuff right and then when you are called upon in your regular job to be where all those tests as you described you can't be at your best if you're physically tired yeah, it, there's plenty of studies that show based on how long it's been since you've had an adequate amount of sleep you can actually miss enough sleep over the course of a week just by doing shift work that you're more impaired than if you're legally intoxicated we, we do know that scientifically. If anybody doubts that at all, please reach out to the podcast. I can send the literature. It exists. I'd be happy to send it over to anybody who just doesn't believe that. But you get enough missed sleep in you, you your judgment goes down, your coordination, your reflex time, down to the little, the what we call myelin, the lining of your nerves will actually degenerate and your nerves don't work as well. To wow combat this largely, I mean, especially law enforcement officers, but across public service, we're generally not paid very well in comparison to anything else. You know, you take on those extra jobs because you, you want to make that average income in a world where everything is getting more expensive continually. There's this yes. constant just race to try and make more money almost to survive. So we, we create an environment where they have to work too much. And then we also create an environment where we hyper scrutinize everybody when they make a mistake. And yes. it's easy to feel, you know, I've, I've never worked direct on the law enforcement side. I, I've been, I have been a certified firefighter one and two back in the day. I've been the licensed paramedic for 12 years. I've worked in the hospital setting, but how trapped can we feel when we're expected to perform 110% when we're sleeping only 30% of what we should. That's, yes. that's an unfair expectation. And you brought up a good point at the beginning of what you were saying. We almost make them superhuman. And one of the best ways I ever had it put to me was there's two ways to dehumanize people. You can make them less than a human being or you can put them on a pedestal. You, uh, when you put someone on a pedestal, it's dehumanizing in a way that it causes them to feel the need to perform perfectly. And none of us are perfect human beings. Right. It exactly. doesn't happen. And when you put that pressure on a person, they either suffer stress or in a very, very toxic culture, no matter what the workplace is, it encourages people to lie and hide. Uh, lie and hide. Yes. If I don't let my men and women underneath me feel like it's safe to come to me and say, I made a mistake. We have a problem because we all make mistakes and sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. 
uh, my current medical director, I won't shout out his name because I didn't ask the permission before we come in here, but the medical director in EMS is the doctor who oversees us. So I, he has one of my favorite quotes. He says, you got to look at errors of whether they're an error of the heart or an error of the mind. We can work on errors of the mind. Errors yeah. of the heart are a lot harder to get to. Yes, yes, but yes. Errors of the mind, 99 out of 100 times are teaching or learning experiences. And the organization really needs to go back and reflect. We can use security, for example. You, you have an individual who had an unfavorable interaction with the public. And now you have a complaint coming in from the contract. You could have a lawsuit coming in. You don't know what's going on. The first thing we should really do is look at that individual's training record and see if we properly equipped that individual to even do this job. Yes. If I released a guy too early and he didn't have the tools or not so uncommonly seen, it was documented by his training officer that he didn't have the tools and we cut him loose early, that is not that individual's fault. The system has failed that individual. We need to do a better job as leaders in not only equipping these people, but recognizing that it's okay to not be fully prepared. I, I run into situations after 12 years that I'm not fully prepared to go into, but I know there's a fire chief or a police captain or someone next to me say, hey, I'm above my head. I know I can call my boss and say, hey, I'm over my head. And yes. it's not shame. It's not them putting you down. Shame on anybody who would ever criticize someone for saying, I need help, especially in public right. safety. Yes, exactly. And we as a community, um, we get give our first responders such a hard time because we don't realize what they go through. And I had uh, the opportunity to go through, through uh, Houston Citizens Police Academy. Mm -hmm. And that was an awesome opportunity. And I was able to see firsthand some of the things that they dealt with. So I, I kind of knew a little bit from the security standpoint. And but when I got to that and I took that, thir it was a 13 week course. And I it just opened my eyes to so much more. And we had an opportunity to do a ride along as well and, and things like that. And so, um, it was just a great experience. And I, I encourage people, if you have a PD or any, uh, anything like that, that give offers those kind of courses, uh, by all means, take those courses because it just helps you understand what a, a police officer has to go through, a first responder has to go through. And then you, if this is how I feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this is, true <laughs> but if you can expose or share information with people and they could bet they may not agree but they can better understand you know what i'm saying they they'll be more sympathetic uh sympathetic about you know dealing with that individual i have a podcast that's called what's your it let's talk about it and with that podcast, we talk about, you know, those taboo topics, you know, if you were raised and you had two, both of your parents were males or both of your parents were females, how did that 
how did that happen? You know, how did that make you feel? How did you deal with that situation? Of public perception, everything along those lines. And it is, especially in the interactions I see, not a lot of people have empathy for law enforcement. We, we talk about all this training we want to put people through to develop empathy and to understand the other side, but it, empathy is a two-way street. And I can tell you from firsthand experience more times than I could even start to count. When a firefighter shows up on scene, people are generally happy. When a paramedic shows up on scene, people are generally happy. Just seeing the presence of a law enforcement officer alone, some people, you, you get the stature change. The shoulders are going to drop a little bit. The chest may come out. The breathing may increase. It's almost a threatened or defensive posture when, you know, they, they don't know this officer from Adam. And a lot of times in our interactions, the one person who can help you the most is probably the officer. Yes, yes. They, they have so many tools in their toolkit, but we, we have to work on changing this perception. And a lot of that comes from understanding. A, understanding. Lot, a lot of the conflict in the world just comes from us not understanding each other. And... Right. And so podcasts like this and other media sources that gives information that helps people understand that, you know, this is a reality. This is what's going on. We have to really do something about it. And, and I don't want to keep quiet. I, I see it. I want to do something about it. And, and so, you know, doing training and, and things of that nature, diversity training, just our culture and as a whole is dysfunctional. And we don't, uh, a lot of us don't realize how dysfunctional we are as a culture. Um, and, but when you, as a first responder, I know you see it firsthand, like, oh, this is, these people are something else. And, and just that, um, you need a release from that. You know what I mean? it's a weird mix of what you just said. So everybody is so different. Everybody is so just between cultures, upbringing, all of these things that, that we can allow to divide us. People are very different. But when you get out there with the public and you spend a lot of time, you actually find out we're very much the same. Yes. We are very, very much the same. And the way I've, Always, I had it first referred to me in the way I refer to it for other medics, first responders, is we do district familiarization. Go out and get familiar with your district. Know the people. Go eat at the food truck down the road. Go, yeah. you know, I know Miss Betty has a hard time shoveling her driveway when it's snowing. There, there's not a chief I can imagine in the world who's going to tell you, no, you can't go shovel Miss Betty's driveway. Right. And the community sees these things and they get to have an interaction with you in a time that isn't high, high stress, high level. One of the best quotes I've, I've heard for kind of what we do is, you know, I, I'm supposed to be the best part of the worst day of somebody's life. Yes. Most like people that. only see us, a fireman, a paramedic or a police officer on what is probably the worst day of their life. That's the only impression we can leave with people. With people, it's no wonder to me, psychologically, sociologically, why this is developed. 
And we have seen some progress with proactive policing, uh, dynamic deployment models for fire departments and EMS services, but we have a long way to go. But I would encourage anybody who wants to start to bridge that gap, go have the conversation. Go eat at the local restaurant. Uh, it, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in my district, which includes the 1960 corridor, when people say just horrible things about the 1960 corridor. I know some of the most pleasant people from that area. Love yeah. the, yeah. You know, some of these people may have some mental health issues. Some of these people just may be lower economically. They're not making a lot of money, but that doesn't make them dangerous. That doesn't make them weird. Some of those people are the most kind people you'll ever meet. And all it takes for you to figure that out is to go spend some time with them. That's all it takes. Yes, that that is so, so true. You know, just getting out into the community and being able to rub shoulders. Uh, I recently became a um, chaplain for the Harris County Sheriff's Department, you know, to do ride alongs and and, and just to really just help our police officers and, you know, and just be that ear reasoning, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to, to, to release or just somebody that admires you and wants to give you that attaboy, you know, because you don't, you don't get it that often. You don't get it that often as a first responder. It's, it's always, you know, everything is heightened and, this and the other and the media uh, puts such a bad light, especially on our police force, you know, um, and some of it is deserved, but most of it is undeserved. I mean, there's, there's no bundle of apples that doesn't have a bad apple in it. We're human beings. We're imperfect creatures, some more than others, but we have flaws. So you're always going to have individuals that, that don't perform public service, how the public would like it performed. Sadly, that gets more attention than anything else. The negatives get more attention than the positives. I, I really enjoyed after, you know, in a, such a hard time for our country after 9-11, if you ever watched the uh, Mr. Rogers episode after that, when he came on and it was parents having a hard time, how do I talk to my children about this? And he said, look for the helpers. The media is going to show you all of these things that are so negative, people getting hurt, people getting assaulted, buildings burning down. If you look at those videos, you'll always see a helper. Yes. What we should focus on is there's all for every one person you see something do bad out there. There's four or five in the background who are helping, but yeah. they're all and and, and putting their lives on the line, you know, and not even caring about their own lives because they care about their mission that they're there for, you know, even our veterans and how we treat our veterans that go off to war and then come back and, and now, you know, have to sleep out on the street or live um, subpar lives because we just don't take care of them and the mental stress that goes with it. and and things of that nature. So we, as a country, have a long way to go, but things, um, organizations like um, what you're doing with your group and, you know, Help Keep America Safe podcast and um, our mission as an association, um, Security Info Source, we're, we're on a mission to really help and make a change because if 
I just, I have a five-year-old, soon to be turning six. I just want the world to be a better place. By the time he's my age, I really want the world to be a better place. And I, I want him to know that my father put forth a lot of effort and then he could keep it going, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah, that's... What's, what's the quote from uh, Hamilton? You know, a legacy is planting seeds in a garden you'll never get to see. That's yes. really legacy in public safety is those things that are going to trickle down and continue way after you're, you're gone. And you, you, what you're saying, I believe, is 100% on point. This is something I try to explain to clients when I, I try to market security services to them. And market may be a bad term because I think if, you're secu- if your services speak for themselves, they sell themselves. You don't have yeah. to sell And one of the first things when I I speak to a prospective client, I tell them is I'm not going to be the cheapest person who's going to come bid this job. Because if I was, I wouldn't give you a quality product. I I have to be able to stand by what I'm going to provide you. And what I'm going to provide you are men and women who are going to do a good job, who are going to treat your customers courteously, who are trained to speak to people like they're human beings, who are skilled enough to to escalate action when needed when needed because the other side these people have to feel like they have the backing and that they've been equipped to act when they must there can't be that hesitation so I, i tell people that's the standard i provide and i think we need to elevate the average standard to that level and that can be a big contribution in private security that we can make is the level three in the state of Texas, you're, you're a commissioned security officer. If you have to afford the arrest, afford the arrest. If you can safely, there should be yeah. no shame falling in help. But if you can afford the arrest, there's no reason why you should be waiting 25 minutes for local law enforcement to get there to protect public safety. Yes. You have to be supported and you have to be compensated in, in a high enough amount that you feel like this is worth it. You're invested. Because at the end of the day, we're human beings are human beings. If they don't find the exchange reciprocal, they're not going to act to the level you need them to. Right. You want you want to pay me um, less or equal to a job that I can go work at Walmart, right, exactly. <laughs> and stack the shelves. But now you put a gun on my side and like put a target on my back, like, hey, criminals. If, if you're trying to do something bad, go ahead and take me out first, you know, yeah. because that's what essentially what you're doing. And so you have when, where you could have quality people protecting you. You have subpar people protecting you because the pay is so low. I mean, you know, and you have to really be a public servant <laughs> to to afford, you know, just like the, you were saying about the police officers and some of the lowest paid professions, you know, our teachers, one of the lowest paid professions, and they're in the trenches, you know, and, and some of them leave like myself, you know, because it's not cutting it. <laughs> the, the, it, the, it, it on you. It, it absolutely weighs on you. And not only are you already doing a stressful job, if, if you're working a security job, you may be guarding you may be guarding the local bar. You may be guarding $2 million in product somewhere. That's a lot of responsibility. And if you're constantly worried in the back of your mind about how you're about to feed your family, 
your head's not in the game. Your head has to be in the game. It's we we make a point. Most first responders I've met and had the conversation with, you separate your personal life and professional life. You got to flip the switch when you get in here. But we also can't lie to ourselves and say we 100% flip the switch. Right. Exactly. It works. So we want we want to ideally flip that switch, but you know, um, it's just if you got to worry about bills and things like that. But you know, I think that should be part of the training. We need to we we in our education system we're not trained how to handle finances so we'll go buy we we ate make that extra money and we'll go buy a nice vehicle right because we can afford it but it keeps us at that level of working you know that that inhumane level of working where we can't be the best public public servant that we possibly can be when we're on our regular job so and we carry this you know super superficial idea in our culture that I have to have the very nice car. I have to have this. I have to have that. We put these pressures on ourselves largely, or we get into toxic relationships that put this pressure on us, things like that. And when you really back up and you look at what you truly need to be happy, it's not that much. And it's certainly not that much in material possession. It it really, but you buy these things and then you become subservient to the bill and you will perform worse i'm a firm believer hours caps in any stressful job that you should not be scheduling your people 80 hours in a week i i'm a firm believer in that and if you do you better have some guy who's standing at the door who's able to detect those fatigue levels and is able to pull someone off when they're not performing because they're not at their best you should be compensating them to the way that they don't have to work like that. Yes, yes, yes. And um, well, you know, this, this conversation is not going to stop either because there's, there's a lot we need to talk about and discuss and, and really um, put in a plan to change what we are seeing and, and really get an educational system put in place. And that's one of the things we want to do as Security InfoSource is to be trained about financial um, management, how to, how to manage your finances, how, how to generate wealth, and uh, how to live. Most millionaires, we read a book, um, The Millionaire Next Door, something like that. Yeah, The Millionaire Next Door, I think it's the title of the book. Great book, but it talks about most of the millionaires uh, they live in middle-class neighborhoods. Oh, absolutely. How, how many guys have you done just when they went on vacation or really wanted a very, very nice night out that these are guys who are millionaires requesting a level four guard. And if you weren't their guard, you would never know this person's worth that much money. Yes. Be, because they, they live conservatively. They understand what's important and they don't have this need to impress others with what they have. Exactly, exactly. And but our culture is raising us uh, to believe the opposite. <laughs> and yep. we, we're trying to, you know, what they say, compete with the Joneses and things of that nature. And it's not bringing satisfaction to us at all. And so we, we definitely have to educate um, people in general about how 
this is affecting our community and affecting how we are living our lives, you know, and we, and I, I don't know about you, but I just want to raise the level of living for most people. I have a blockchain that we're developing and our, our goal is to bring clean water and resources to the underprivileged and underserved using the technology. And, and so um, some of the water things, some of the water we're drinking is, <laughs> you know, so far. It's interesting to bring that that up. If you uh, a lot of the news articles lately, something that that we should ask ourselves: How did this even happen? But Haiti has actually entered into such a situation where they're so impoverished that they are the only community in North America that is on the UN's list of you know not being able to provide the basic basic needs to their citizens mm. and continent on this earth that is so economically well off. We should really be looking at that and asking ourselves, how did we get to a point where we've reverted so far that, I mean, we're in Texas, Haiti's a neighbor neighbor to the South. We're closer to Haiti than we are to some other states. Right. (laughs) How did this happen? Yes. Really should be asking that. And the, you know, the adage rising tides raise all ships. Like we've talked about before, there's no reason for me to have animosity towards another security company. If we're all providing a good service, we should be rising on the tide together. We shouldn't be each other or undercutting, providing substandard services. We should only be traveling upward together. Yes, together, together. Well, Carlo, it's been great. I thank you for your time and, um, how, if, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, if you had something, you know, can we find you on Facebook or, or Instagram or how can we get in touch with you? So on Facebook, it is Carlo Di Bonaventura, long, long last name, but Carlo D-I-B, I'm probably the only one in that Rolodex. <laughs> uh, so my company is Temperance Protection Group also has a Facebook page with the phone number and everything like that on it. Someone can call, leave a message. I'm more than happy to talk. Most of my friends and colleagues will let you know, I'll talk your ear off. I'll talk you till you fall asleep. So with that, uh, the website is actually currently under revision. So when that gets back up, it'll be added to the Temperance Protection Group Facebook page and easily be able to send an email inquiry. And I'm more than happy to discuss these things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we must have you back, my brother. Um, I, we are building a relationship and I believe that it's going to be fabulous. It started off on a great foot and I thank you for coming on and we look forward to having you again. Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me here anytime. Thank you. Thank you.